Thank you for choosing to listen to the Hope Rock Church at Lake Travis podcast. For more resources and information on our church or our team, please go to www.hoperockchurch.com or find us on Facebook. Amen. Good morning, Hope Rock Church. It's good to see everybody. I am uh, going to start my timer, otherwise I get into trouble. Just a side note, uh, I'm wearing flannel, just in case you're wondering. We don't wear this in South Africa, and so I've got to tell you that this thing is killing me, and uh, I just don't know how to wear this thing. So I put it on, I thought I'd be nice and cool in here, it's like I'm dying in heat, and unfortunately I can't take it off. So if I start sweating, it's not me, it's the Lord, hallelujah, it's the power of God. So I'm just giving you that terms and conditions apply. Anyway, it's good to see you all, everybody here in person as well as everybody online, Thank you for joining us today. If you're visiting and this is the first time here, I want to just say thank you for coming. We love you guys. We appreciate that you chose to worship with us today. And I want to wish everybody a belated Thanksgiving. Thank you. I mean, not thank you. Thank you for having a great Thanksgiving this week, right? I'm sure everyone had a good time. I know for a fact that I ate um, probably an inordinate amount of food. Uh, and I think I've decided that the next time I'll eat is Thanksgiving 2021. That's how much food I ate. Oh, but hang on. Christmas. Right. Okay, maybe after Christmas I'll take a break. But anyway, it's a, it's a great holiday. We obviously don't celebrate Thanksgiving in South Africa, and so it's, it's so good to be around people that are thankful. Not that we aren't thankful in South Africa, we just don't celebrate thankfulness. And so it's always uh, a big pleasure for us to celebrate with our friends and family, and I hope you guys all had a wonderful time. For those who went away, welcome back. Uh, it's good to have you back as well. So this morning, we're going to be kicking off with a four-week Advent series, um, and it's going to be you know, leading us right up to Christmas. But before that, I just wanted to go through a couple of announcements and some updates just before we jump into the message itself. Uh, I know that uh, just fortuitously, Cassie left the building. So that's unfortunate, but I wanted to thank Cassie. Please thank her if she's sitting next to you. She's the tall lady with the red hair for doing all this Christmas decoration. How awesome is it? Her and Catherine spent the day yesterday getting us ready for Christmas. And so I'm just so grateful for them and grateful for all that they do for us. Um, Yeah. So first announcement, please don't forget Christmas Eve and Christmas Eve's Eve coming up 23rd and 24th of December. We had hoped we would have those invitations today, but with Thanksgiving, it got thrown off a bit. We will have the invitations ready for you next week, so please collect them. And what we'll also do is in this week's e-news is we'll include a digital version of this invitation so you can invite your friends, your families, your neighbors, anybody that you want. You can invite them from anywhere in the country, preferably Montana, North Dakota, as far as Canada, Alaska. Just bring them in. Just bring everybody into Texas. You know everyone wants to live here anyway. So anyway, it's a great opportunity to invite your neighbors. Jokes aside, this is a huge evangelism opportunity for us. We want people to hear the gospel. So if you know people that need to hear the gospel, Please bring them to our Christmas Eve carol service. Second announcement, we are going to be kicking off with our Christmas impact offering today. So for those of you that call Hope Rock Church your home, you'll get get an email today. And in that email will be all the information along with the letter about Christmas impact for 2020. This is an important time of the year for us. It's a key component of our annual sort of planning and budget. So please read through it. Regardless of how you choose to respond, please pray about all the areas in that letter. We are trusting the Lord and feeling the Lord's wisdom in leading us into specific areas. But more than anything else, we need your prayer. So please pray over that. See where the Lord lays in your heart. If there's anything that he's sort of pointing out at you, please come and chat to us as well. But yeah, that kicks off today. And then I also wanted to just spend a few minutes because sort of we're at the end of the year. I promise you this won't be longer than a minute just to give you a finance update as to where we are as a church. I think it's important. You know, the year is drawing to an end. And so in the full sort of uh, 
in full transparency, we want you as our family to know how God has blessed us this year. So, Tim, if you can go to the next slide. What we see here is essentially just high-level numbers. If anyone wants the detail behind this, please come and chat to me as well, because we can and are happy to give you the detail. But what's interesting is this particular year was an interesting year for all of us. We're living through a pandemic, but since June of this year, this church has grown 60%. Uh, and so I just want to, and I'm not talking about numbers in terms of revenue. Cassie, you're back. Thank you for the Christmas decorations. Thank you, Cassie. Let's give Cassie a hand. Yay. Woo, this flannel is hot, man. Anyway, I'm about to take my shirt off. Um, then we'll grow 80%. No, I'm joking. So we have grown 60% in people. I know you can't tell it now, but we are on a holiday week. But God has been good to us with people, but he's also been good to us financially. We had budgeted for this year to, up until the end of October, that's the last set of uh, financials we've got, to bring in about $362,000 worth of income. However, God has brought in more than that. And right now, as at the end of October, we're sitting at 369000 which is great. So let's give the Lord a hand for that. We're ahead of our budget. In terms of our expenses, we had budgeted to spend $386,000. We've only spent $313,000. And that, again, is just the, the Lord's provision. God has saved us from having to spend money uh, that we might have had to spend. And I say that given the fact that we kitted out an entire video suite back there. So even with all of that money, we still were at a saving. So I don't know how God's mathematics works, but all I do know is that it is working. Uh, and so where that leaves us for the years, we are $56,000 in the black. We had anticipated, and this is where the things get really crazy. We had anticipated that in a COVID year, uh, without even taking COVID into consideration, that we would be sort of in the red by $24,000. COVID happened, and now we're in the black. So God has blessed us this year, and I just want to give him, first of all, a shout of praise because he has looked after us. But I also equally want to thank every single person that calls Hope Rock Church your home. This is uh, your family, and this is your church, as well as it's our church. And so I thank you for being a partner with us and committing to what God has laid on your heart. And we're trusting that 2021 will be an even bigger year, not in numbers, but in impact. That's our heart, and so please pray for us, and please continue just to trust God for all the things that he's got in store for us as a local church. God is good. Amen? So that's that. Let's get to our first Advent installment. On that note, outside in the foyer, uh, in our visitor's lounge, what you will find on the table just underneath the Hope Rock Church sign are a bunch of Hope, uh, not Hope Rock, Advent books. Now, we had bought books, uh, real books, uh, and they were really nice, and it was all amazing, and today we were meant to hand them out to all the families, but the publishers messed it up. And so what Catherine did was worked until the wee hours of this morning to produce her own book. Uh, and so she wrote an entire devotion series. No, I'm joking. <laughs> we downloaded John Piper's one, which is really good. Uh, and we've bound it for you. We've created a nice sleeve. We did hope to give you a real book, but Catherine did a better job, I think. I think those books are far more... Uh, at least for more visually appealing. And so please take one. Uh, we want you to celebrate Advent with us, with your families, but please only take one book per family. It's not one book per person in the family. Otherwise, Catherine will be you know, staying up late every night and our house will be really difficult to live in. So please just take one book per family because I, I really don't want her to make more books. Amen. <laughs> I'm just kidding. So we've been celebrating Advent for about the last four or five years as a family. Um, and when I say celebrating it, we've been sort of observing it. We've been going through an Advent calendar. We've been playing with the kids, giving them the sweeties. They love it because they get sweets from us. And so it's always a big hit in the house. But I've got to be honest with you, I had no idea what Advent meant. Uh, and so I thought, considering I'm preaching and teaching on Advent, I better figure out what Advent actually means. Uh, I'm just being honest with you. Maybe there's someone here that also doesn't understand what the word Advent means. If that's you, sorry, bless you. Oh, bless you. I thought you said it means bless you. But that's okay. 
pretty close. Uh, I did figure out what the definition is. Advent means the beginning of an event, the invention of something like the advent of the motor vehicle, or, and I think this is where it hits us as believers, the arrival of a particular person. And so Christians over the years have come to celebrate Advent as that four-week period leading up to Christmas. Why? Because we are waiting for the arrival of a person. Amen? And so we celebrate that time together. We remember at this time of the year that Jesus is our Lord and Savior, that God gave us a promise, and that promise was fulfilled in him. And we've got to understand that that's what Christmas means. See, Christmas is not just about decorating our houses or eating nice food, although that's really good. I like the food part. Not so much decorating the houses, uh, but I like the food part. It's not just about you know, giving and receiving of gifts, although that's also pretty cool, and that's my favorite, actually. So if you want to know what to get me for Christmas, come speak to me afterwards. But Christmas is about Jesus, friends. It's about the love that the God of the universe had for us, his children, that he would send his son to die for us. That little boy was born in a manger, not in a palace, not in a hotel, in a manger. Why? Just so that he could take our sins on his body and die on the cross. That's the love that we celebrate at this time of the year. But we can lose sight of this because Christmas has become so commercialized. This world doesn't understand what Christmas means to them. It's Black Friday, then it's Christmas, and we're going to sell lots of stuff. But for us, we have to redeem Christmas. We have to believe it. We have to trust that this promise of a Savior came true, and we have to let the world know about it. And so although Christmas is hyper-commercialized, and although there's so many people that don't understand what Christmas means, it's a great time of the year for us to be missional. It's a great time of the year for us to talk to people that are probably for the first time actually going to listen to what we have to say. So let's use this time as we celebrate Advent together and as we celebrate our King. And that sort of leads me into this morning's topic, which is, you know, the topic of hope. I don't know about you, but uh, I think we live in a pretty hopeless world at the moment. Let's pray and then let's jump right into it. Father, I pray for this time together this morning. I thank you for this amazing church. I thank you more than anything else for you, Jesus for the price that you paid for our sins, and that we get to remember what you did for us on the cross every day of our lives, not just now in December, but every day of our lives. But I do pray specifically over this period of Advent that we would be a light to the world, Lord, that you would let your love shine in us and through us, and that you would do something amazing in the city of Lakeway, in Spicewood, in Bee Cave, the city of Austin, and to the rest of this nation, Lord. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You're probably thinking we need a lot of hope. As I said, we do live in a pretty dark world at this moment. And you think, well, this is a great topic. You know, let's talk about hope. I mean, after all, we're living through a pandemic, right? One that's caused so much pain. For some, it's the pain of actually losing a loved one or dealing with somebody that's sick or seeing the repercussions of that pandemic through the financial impact it's had on people's lives. Perhaps you have lost your livelihood. I'm not sure what the pain is. Whatever it is, I know it's real. Or maybe it's not the pain. Maybe it's just the frustration, the frustration that rises up in you every time you think about the restrictions that have been put in place. Because perhaps for you, maybe they are too stringent, or maybe they're not stringent enough. Depending on which side you view this issue, that will determine what your level of frustration is. But I can tell you what, no matter which side you look at this, people are frustrated. No matter what it is this morning, what we have to understand is that we, as people, are living in a very, very high-stress environment. We've got a lot of things rummaging through the back of our minds. We've got a lot of anxiety. We've got a lot of stress. We've got a lot of things that sort of just cloud our judgments. I don't know about you, but I've probably lost more sleep in the last six months than ever before. Just because consistently my mind's always thinking about the possibilities of what's, what's going to happen. Wondering if the city or the state's going to shut us down again as a church. And all these things weigh on you. And you're probably wondering, Mark, I thought we were going to talk about hope. <laughs> I'm getting there. We are talking about hope. 
Sometimes we just need to let it all out, guys. It's good to, it's good to de-stress, you know what I mean? I'm just letting it out on you. <laughs> Woo, feel better now. Let's talk about hope. We are going to talk about hope. But what we have to understand is we as Christians, people that call themselves Christ followers, no matter how difficult the circumstances are, no matter how the world looks like it's going to fall apart or tear itself apart, we as Christians should be the most hopeful people in the world. You see, friends, because our hope is not in a word. It's not in, it's not in what the word could represent. Our hope is in a person. That person is Jesus. And he's the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. And so when we stand out there on the streets and we're in conversations with people, let our conversations be seasoned with hope. Hope that reminds people that there is a better way, that there actually is an eternal Savior, a loving God that can help them, that can be with them, that has got all the answers because that's our job. And so I often have to remind myself of this because I'm not uh, you know, immune to feeling dejected. But that's what the message of hope is. You know, the word hope itself, according to the rest of the world, means wishful thinking. Right? Like you, you say hope when you hope something's going to happen. Like probably right now most of you in this room are hoping that Marco won't preach for all that long. Right? I want to tell you, that is wishful thinking. Because it's not going to happen. I'm just kidding. But that's, that's what the world sees hope as. I hope this is going to happen. Often we use it as if there's, a cert, there's no certainty to the event actually transpiring. It could happen. It could not happen. It's 50-50. And so we're just hoping that it will happen. But that's not what hope means to us as believers. In fact, to us, hope means confident expectation. It means that we are expectant that the thing that we are hoping in is going to happen. That's the hope that we carry inside of us. And so when we use this word hope, it's not frivolously, it's not just cast out there, oh, we hope Jesus will come back one day. No, we are expectant that Jesus Christ will come back one day. I hope God's got this. No, God has got this. We have to know that. We don't need to hope about that. We can expect God to have this. Tim, I think you need to switch on the air conditioner because I'm dying. And so this hope has a name. Our hope has a name, and his name is Jesus, the same Jesus who fulfilled over 300 specific references in over 60 Old Testament prophecies. That's the hope that we carry this morning. I wish we could go through all 60 of those prophecies this morning, but the Lord led me to one specific prophecy that I want to unpack for us all. Please turn with me in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 9. I've been training myself. You'll be proud of me to say Isaiah, not Isaiah, but I might slip up here and there. Please don't throw anything at me. Isaiah, Isaiah, it's all the same to me, right? So Isaiah chapter 9, verse 1. This particular prophecy, in fact, the book of Isaiah was written about 700 years before Jesus was born. Technically speaking, between 739 BC and 689 BC, but let's just call it even. Let's just say 700 years before the birth of Christ. This passage of scripture was written. And in verse 1, it starts, But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. So maybe a little bit more context to help you. The prophet Isaiah was called by God to prophesy primarily to the nation of Judah, but he also did a fair amount of prophesying to the nation of Israel as well. And what's interesting about Isaiah, the book itself, it is the only book, well, it is the book, the, the only book in the Old Testament that has the most 
prophecies about Jesus Christ. Isaiah was passionate about the Messiah that would come. God used him to speak that message. And what he's saying here in this opening verse, because when you read it, you think, well, what does this actually mean? Isaiah is speaking to a nation. He's speaking to Judah. Essentially, this nation had become so lost, so depraved, that they had forgot that God even existed. In fact, they started to reject the God of the Bible. And not only that, they'd become wicked. Wicked and faithless people. I don't know if that, when you think about those two things, wicked and faithless and and rejecting God, if that reminds you of something. It reminds me of the world. We live in a world today that has all but rejected God. We live in a world that has taken God out of everything. In South Africa, you can't pray at schools. Here, you can't pray at schools either. In South Africa, we used to open morning assembly every day with a prayer. Now that's gone. And slowly but surely, what we're seeing is God has been removed from the picture in every element of society. And as we see God being removed, we're seeing wickedness increase. That's the world that we live in. And so what I want to tell you this morning is that this prophecy applies to us today. But what's interesting is if you read the book of Isaiah, in chapter 8, God speaks to the nation and he reminds Isaiah that there is a remnant of people. There is a group of people that exist in this nation of Judah. That, that have not forgotten the God of the Bible, that have not forgotten the promises of God, and that believe God for all that he said he would do. And it's because of this remnant that God is now acting. He's giving them a promise. I want to tell you, friends, that in the nation of America, there is a remnant of believers. We're meeting here this morning, and countless other churches across this nation are meeting. Why? Because people believe in the God of the Bible. And guess what? God needs a remnant. He doesn't need everyone. He needs us. And when he uses us, we can change the world. And so what he's saying to them in this promise is that there is a promise of a hope to come. This nation is in darkness, but now God says, I'm going to shine a light on you. In fact, you won't even realize you're in darkness anymore. And it sounds counterintuitive and nobody can understand how it's going to happen, but God is promising it. And what he's saying is that your hope will come from a specific place. There's a map on the screen. It should be on the screen. It'll come up now. But essentially what he says is that there's three areas that he lists. The first circle on the left-hand side, the land of Naphtali, the land of Zebulun, and the Sea of the Galilee, or the Galilee of the Gentiles. That region up there became Assyrian provinces after Israel fell to Assyria. Let me tell you what the Assyrians did. They moved in, they brought people with them from other nations and other places that they conquered, and they settled there. And what those people did was they brought their gods with them. And so what you ended up in Old Testament Israel was a place that was a mishmash of cultures, a little bit of Judaism, but a lot of pagan worship. That continued right way through to the New Testament. Now what's interesting is in the New Testament on the right-hand side, that area became known as Samaria. I wonder if we know anybody that spent most of his life, in fact, lived in Galilee. Do you know who that person is? His name is Jesus. 700 years before the birth of the Messiah, God told Isaiah that the Messiah would come from a specific region. Now that is counterintuitive, I have to tell you, because no person ever thought that the Savior would come from Samaria. But here he does. Jesus spends his in, most of it, 70 to 80% of his entire earthly ministry in that region. And what God is saying to Judah is the promise will come from the north. What does it mean to us today? It means that God will show up in our lives, in in some cases, in the most unlikely ways. He'll show up in our lives in the darkest of moments. And so no matter how desperate you might feel today, no matter how dark the world looks, God can show up in an instant. The nation that was in darkness is now in light. 
And so what that tells me as we unpack that is that we can have confident expectation or hope that no matter how dark things may seem today, we serve a God who can shine his light in our circumstances in an instant. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians, sorry, 1 Corinthians. See, now that's a problem now as well. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 27. He says, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. He chose the foolish things of this world to shame the wise. I'm testament of that fact. Here I am. I'm foolish. And I think if we're all honest, we're all foolish, right? But not only that, he chose the weak in the world to shame the strong. He chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are. Think about that. God takes things that don't even exist yet, and he uses those things to break down strongholds. That reminds me of the prophecy that Isaiah was just giving. And he does this for a simple reason, so that no human might boast in the presence of God. You see, if we can construe it in our minds, if we can construct it, then it's us. It's our ability. It's our strength. And so God uses these unlikely situations, these suddenlies of God, to change nations, friends. To change our lives. To change the course of our families. And to change everything around us. And I want to tell you, friends, I feel it on my heart that God is going to move in this nation in a way that we don't expect. He's going to move in the most unlikely ways, use the most unlikely people for his purposes. Now, who they are, I don't know. But what I want to tell you is when it happens, we can only say that was God. Verse 3 in Isaiah 9 continues, you have multiplied the nation. You've increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest as they are glad when they divide the spoil. Two things are mentioned here which are quite interesting. First is multiplication, and the second thing is an increase of joy. And so not only is this nation coming out of darkness to light, not only is there hope to come in the most unlikely ways, but now this nation is going to be multiplied and it's going to have an increase of joy. Let's think about multiplication just real quick. This nation, Judah, was probably a tiny little nation at that particular moment in time. And not only was it tiny, it was fighting for its very survival. Right up against it was the nation of Egypt who wanted to invade them. It was the nation of Assyria and it was the Babylonians. This Judean nation would no ways in any earthly thinking think that one day they would be multiplied. Because they couldn't see it ever happening. They were tiny. But what God was saying to this nation is something so powerful. He was saying, nation of Judah, understand that one day your growth will not come from within. It will come from without. What does that mean? It means it comes from you and I. This nation, this nation of Judah would ultimately be added to it the Gentiles. People like us. People that had no standing with Israel but now have been grafted into the vine. And so God is prophesying the church. He's saying in Isaiah chapter 9 that one day there will be a church and that church will rise up and it, its growth will be exponential. We are part of that. We saw it happen in the book of Acts as, as, as the gospel was taken to, to the nations. Paul did a great job of it. The apostles followed him all the way through from the western side of Europe to the eastern side or the eastern side of Europe to the western side of Europe. But I want to tell you what that prophecy says and what these words on this wall say to know Christ and to make him known means that you and I today are living in Isaiah's prophetic timeline because the multiplication is not done yet. We often live our lives in past tense thinking, oh, God did it all. It's done. No, this prophecy continues today. The multiplication has not finished. And what that should give us is hope. Hope that what God has said is going to happen and what God is doing is continuing to happen. We see the church bigger than ever before. There is more believer, there are more believers today in the world than has ever existed in all of the history of the world. God has honored his promises. And guess what? You and I get a part to play in the story. 
The multiplication happens one by one. But if everybody does it, it's multitudes and multitudes that get added to the church. So let's leave the church today knowing that we're in a prophetic timeline and we've got a job to do to know Christ and to make him known. I don't even know where I am. Second aspect, joy. It's not just multiplication, friends. It's an increase of joy. That's such a powerful word. I'm not going to go into it because that's another, for another Sunday in Advent. But just speaking about this real quick, the joy that comes is attached to a harvest. There's a powerful picture there. What is the harvest? And what do we need to get a harvest? Yes, of course, you know, we can do something in our humanity to create a harvest. We can sow the seeds. We can till the ground. We can water the seeds. We can, you know, throw pesticides on it, just not that other stuff that's on TV, Roundup, whatever it is. Don't use that stuff. It's dangerous. I only know that since I came to America. But we can do stuff, right, in the natural. We can do things to help us produce a harvest. But let me tell you something. No matter what you do, no matter how much water you throw at those seeds, no matter how much sunlight it's got on them, unless God causes the seed to grow, nothing will happen. And so what God is saying to the nation of Judah is your joy will come through a harvest, which means your joy is not conditional on what you do. Your joy is conditional on what I do. And what that tells me this morning is that our hope, our confident expectation this morning is in the fact that we are part of God's divine family. But more than that, our joy comes not from what we do or not from what the circumstances dictate or not from who's president and not from whether coronavirus is going to continue tomorrow. Our joy comes from what Jesus did on the cross 2,000 years ago in Calvary. That's our joy, friends. Verse 4, for the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as in the day of Midian. For every brute of the tramp, brute, brute, of the tramping warrior in battle, battle, I don't know, you say this word in America, tumult, tumult, what do you say? Tumult. And every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. You're probably thinking this is a very weird prophecy. I mean, why wouldn't we just go to Isaiah, you know, 40 or 53, it would have been a lot easier. God wants us to understand this, friends. God tells Judah that their victory, there's going to be multiplication. There's going to be light. There's going to be multiplication. There's going to be joy. And there's going to be a victory in a battle. Now, there's a couple of things that we need to understand about that. The first thing is God says the victory will come as in the days of Midian. You can go read that story if you're interested in Judges chapter 6 all the way through to chapter 8. That victory against Midian, guess what, came through one man. It wasn't the nation. It was one man. You remember his name? His name was Gideon. God is reminding the nation of Judah that their victory will come through a man. Not through an army, not through a president, not through a government, but through a man. And he's also saying this. Understand that with all of the goodness I'm going to bring, with all of the good stuff that's going to happen, with all of the fact that the nations will enlarge and more people will come into the church, understand that the days of conflict are coming. Sometimes I think... You know, that in our modern Christianity, we have negated that word conflict or persecution, like as if it doesn't exist. But let me tell you, friends, if the nation of Judah went through conflict, and if the early church went through conflict, who are we to think that we will not go through persecution ourselves? In fact, I can tell you one thing. The Bible promises us that we will go through persecution, friends. And I want to tell you that the conflict is coming. We still haven't even seen it. This nation specifically. This nation, to a large extent, has escaped a lot of the persecution, although it's getting worse. But there are nations in the world today where you cannot read the Bible. In fact, you cannot even own the Bible. 
You can't speak to your friends about Jesus. You can't proselytize anyone. You'll end up in jail. And so if the rest of the world is facing persecution, who are we to think we won't? We will, friends. It will come. But guess what? Just like in the days of Midian, God is promising us that our victory will not come through an army. It will come through a man. And guess what? Our man is Jesus Christ. Isaiah 9 verse 6 says this, for, for to us a child is born, and to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Now we're starting to get a sense of who this person actually is. It's a man, and he has many names. These names are so powerful. I mean, his name is so powerful that it takes four names to describe him. The first one is Wonderful Counselor. Perhaps you're here this morning and you feel like you need a counselor. Well, the good news is you've got one. He is the wonderful counselor. Now, I'm not trying to knock counselors or Christian counseling or any counseling for that matter. But what I am saying to us is let our first port of call in our lives not be the internet, not be a counselor, not be, you know, a self-help book or, you know, somewhere online or somebody's opinion. Let our first port of call be to our wonderful counselor who is Jesus Christ. And then go to everybody else. But let's make him number one. We have him at our disposal. He wants to counsel us. He wants to give us wisdom. And he wants us to turn to him first. And I believe it, that he's going to help us when we do. But I know for a fact that even in my own life, I so quickly turn to other things like Epoch News to determine how good my day is going to be or not. And it's always bad, let me tell you. The second name, Mighty God. That word, Mighty God, is better translated to read Divine Warrior. Or warrior God. That's what it's saying. And what this text is reminding us is the God that we serve is on, a re- is on a relentless battle against sin and wickedness. That's what it's saying. He is a warfaring God. He is not, you know, in South Africa we used to have this advert for a shampoo. It was called Timothy. Do you know, I don't know if you guys ever had that shampoo yet? No. Anyway, it was this little kid and he had this flowing white hair, you know, like, like a just beautiful hair. And he would be sitting there with a lamb in the field. You know, and that's often how we picture Jesus, right? It's this flowing white hair and he's got a lamb and, you know, he's like, you know, whatever. Like as if we're back in the 1960s here. Let me tell you, when we see Jesus, we will get on our knees, friends. Because in his eyes are flames of fire. That's the God that we serve. And he wants to destroy sin and wickedness. So can I say this to us this morning, that when we wake up in the morning and we feel dejected, when we feel disparaged or discouraged about the, the way the world is, let us remember that at the head of this army is Jesus Christ, and he will have his way. We don't have to let the conditions of the world determine how we view our lives. That's impossible. Stop telling me it's time. Everlasting Father. We've only got one more name and then we'll close. Whether your experience with your earthly father on this earth has been amazing or whether it's been terrible because your father is abusive or maybe even an absent father, I want to tell you, friends, this morning that we have an everlasting father. We have a father who will never leave us. He'll never forsake us. He will never abuse us, friends. And he wants us to turn to him. And it's in his tenderness that he will come to us and he will love us. Because although he is a warring God, when he deals with his children, he deals with us in tenderness and in love. And so take all of those perspectives in your mind about the fathers you've had, the fathers you've known, and know that there is a father that trumps them all. His name is Jesus Christ. And he loves you, friends. And we live in a nation that is a fatherless nation at the moment. And what God does when we turn to him as our father is he gives us the ability to become better fathers ourselves. I'm speaking to the men. Women, you don't want to become fathers. But this will 
needs fathers. The church needs fa- fathers. Our children needs, need fathers. In South Africa, it's a sad state of affairs. We have more children-headed households than any other country in the world. Why? Because the men have abandoned their families. The mothers are at work, working, and so you have 10-year-olds looking after six kids at home. They have no direction and no wisdom. Let us be the fathers that God's called us to be. But to do that, we need to turn to our everlasting father and say, Lord, show us the way. And then the last one is the Prince of Peace. This is far more. I think when we read Prince of Peace, we, we again think of the, the advert, you know, the flowing white tear, and he's going like, peace, bro, you know, like everything's cool. No, that's not the Prince of Peace that we're talking about. This Prince of Peace is busy bringing in a kingdom. That's what it's saying. There is a kingdom of peace that is going to come. One day, you and I will live in eternity with God where there will be no more pain and no more suffering, and he's the king of the kingdom. That's what it's telling us. And guess what? That means that you and I live on this earth, not forever. This is but a temporary place. Our inheritance, our destiny is an eternal one. Yet so often we hold on to this world, we cling on to it as if it's all there is. We need to live with a future mindset, with a destiny in our hearts, knowing that one day we will be with Jesus and what we do today impacts the tomorrow. This is not what we have to hold on to. In fact, the sooner we can let go of it, the better. Why? Because when we leave here, we're with God. Now, I'm not saying do anything crazy, and I'm not saying just go out there and be a maniac. But what I am saying is the things that we do today speak to an eternal destiny in heaven. So let's stop making it out as if this world is all we have, because it isn't. We are destined to live in eternity with a God who loves us. And what that tells me is that our hope this morning, our confident expectation is in a being who gives us counsel, fights our battles, who never leaves us, and who, who will one day bring us into an eternity with him. That's our hope. Let's close. Verse 7. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth forever and forevermore. And the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. If you've ever woken up one morning and wondered as to whether or not the promises contained in this book will ever come to fruition, if what God says is actually true, that last verse there, in fact, The last sentence of the verse, the zeal of the Lord will do this, means that we should never doubt God because it means his passion, his ambition, his desire is to take his plans and turn them into action. We've seen him do it before. We know he'll do it again. And so let's trust in that, friends. And he uses this word government. Mike, you can come up. Lindsay, you can come up. He uses this word government twice in this prophecy. The first is, and the government will rest on his shoulders. The second, and of the increase of his government. What does this word government mean? Of course, it means everything, right? We know Jesus is master of it all in totality, but specifically Isaiah is referring to the church. If Jesus is on the head and his government rests on his shoulders, it means that this is speaking to the church because Jesus is the head of the church. And what this text is telling us this morning is that it's important for us to remember that Jesus is the head of the church. Sounds simple enough, right? Jesus is the head of the church. You're probably all saying, yeah, well, that's right. We all know that. Really? You see, often we put ourselves ahead of Jesus. Every time we place our will before his will, our purposes before his plans, and our happiness before his calling. We are putting ourselves at the head of the church. Or when we make church on a Sunday morning about us, our gifts, our talents, our abilities, the show, the program, the children's ministry, anything else but Jesus, we've put something else at the head of the church. This morning, God wants us to redeem the church and say he is the head. And every morning and every Sunday and every meeting, all we need to do is glorify Jesus as the king. And I want to tell you, if you're visiting this church and you hear somebody preach anything but Jesus, please don't ever come back again. In fact, don't go to any other church that doesn't do that. I mean, that does that. 
This church exists for Jesus Christ, friends. It's a picture of a church that's ready, that loves unconditionally. It's a picture of a church that, that will take this mandate and knock down the gates of hell. When Jesus says the gates of hell will not be able to stand against us, he's talking about an advancing army. And for us to become that church, for Hope Rock to be that church, we need to strive and contend that Jesus is the center of everything we do. And if we fail, if we do anything else, if we put anything else above Jesus, help us, Lord, and forgive us to remove it away from us. God wants a mobilized army, friends. He needs us front-footed, on the front lines, understanding that He's the Savior, that's it, but He's the God who leads, and He's the fighter, He's the mighty warrior, He's the everlasting Father, He's the Prince of Peace. And He wants us to do it with Him, not around Him, not sometimes add a sprinkle of Jesus on a Sunday morning. He wants us to make it about Him. Can I ask us to stand? I know that the realities of life are real. And sometimes, although we hear this, it's like it comes in and it, it, it ruminates there for a little bit, but then just as quickly as it's come in, it's gone out. Because as quickly as God puts it in your mind, the enemy's there trying to snatch it out of your mind. He's trying to remind you, actually, what Mark is saying is right, but guess what? You've got problems at home. I want you to know this morning that Isaiah promises us another promise in verse 30 of chapter 40. He says this, Even youths grow weary and tired, and young men shall stumble and fall. But those whose hope in the Lord, those who hope in the Lord, will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Friends, I felt this morning that God wants that promise to be spoken over you. He wants to remind us, church, that in this crazy world that we live in today, if our hope is in Him, our strength will be renewed today, friends. We will rise up on wings like eagles. What's interesting about eagles is every year they go up high into the mountains and they, they, they literally pluck out all their feathers. They get rid of all of them. And so in the next season, they can have a fresh coat. I feel like God wants to release fresh coats this morning on us. I think we're carrying feathers that should have gone a long time ago. And God wants you to pluck them out. And I think we need to pray. Thank you for listening to the Hope Rock Church at Lake Travis podcast. We are a church that is passionate about knowing Christ and making Him known in our city, the nation, and the ends of the earth. For more information on who we are, please go to www.hoperockchurch.com or find us on Facebook.